Hi, I'm Ben. I suffer from a condition called writer's block. It strikes when I'm at work. That's why I choose Canva Magic Write. It works fast, generating texts in seconds, thanks to AI. Common side effects include increased productivity, compliments from coworkers, feelings of satisfaction. Now I can say bye-bye to writer's block. Ask your boss if Canva Magic Write is right for you at canva.com, designed for work. Electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones, from powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY, a big idea that inspired the world to invest differently and still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. My mission is simple, to make you money. I'm here to level the playing field for all investors. There's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise to help you find it. Mad Money starts now. Hey, I'm Kramer. Welcome to Mad Money. Welcome to Kramerica. Other people want to make friends? Now I'm just trying to make sense of it here, because I want to make you some money. My job is to entertain, to educate, teach, and put this whole thing in context. So call me at 1-800-743-CBC or tweet me at Jim Kramer. Now, if you listen to the bears, right, we're in the grip of what? Yes, persistent, pernicious inflation that is certain to wreck the economy as well as your pension, your payroll, anything. And don't even get me started on the budget deficit. They know nothing. Yet there's a conundrum here. The averages are holding them pretty darn well, aren't they? Dow dipping to six points today for making a new high yesterday. S&P advancing 0.30% and hitting a new intraday high. And Nasdaq gaining 0.62%. All right, so this probably year from the commentators, this market's analyst advance keeps posing a powerful question, doesn't it? it? What happens if it turns out that the move is justified by the fundamentals, as opposed to what everybody comes on and says, which is not justified, not justified. What happens if it's justified? What happens if the woes that plague the economy are easing? What if things are getting better? Well, I suspect we're overbought. I know that from my S&P oscillator I follow. And we could always have another leg down. I think there could be any buying opportunity that you should pounce on. Remember, seven to ten days from now begins the most seasonally strong period of the year for the last 23 years. So I would hold on to stocks or pounce on weakness as we are doing for our new investment club, which, uh, given our ubiquitous QR code, is pretty darn easy to sign up. A QR code is that thing that looks like this. Is that good? I mean, doesn't it look like that to me it does? I mean, I hold my camera up the wrong way to it. So, you know, get, get a little lesson there. All right, let's synthesize what we've been hearing from the CEOs of major companies since I'm on every earnings call. There it is. See? I'm on every single earnings call, and my life is uh, terrible, and I'm driving my wife crazy. Here we go. Here's some, some clues that I'm getting that you're not hearing, because people are looking at that top-down stuff doesn't have the real, t- real deal. Why don't we start with the bank CEOs? Given where we were 20 months ago, the American consumer is now in remarkable shape. Individual balance sheets have gotten so strong that people don't need as many loans. By the way, it's the best balance sheets in the history of our country, okay? And when they do need money, their credit scores are absurdly high. What does that mean? It means they can borrow money and create a small business. And there is an astounding resurgence in small business, which gives banks the opportunity to turn a profit by lending people money in a prudent way. There's no spike up in delinquencies. Spike down. 
Having studied the banks for the last 40 years, I can tell you these institutions are indeed in the best shape I've ever seen them. When the banking system's strong, that's very good news for the economy. Second group, the transports. Boy, have you seen the transports? Have you been following the action there? My most favorite group to look at. For example, if you listen to this morning's conference call from Union Pacific, Lance Fritz, we had him on not that long ago. He was, he was kind of bearish. Remember, I was trying to get him to be positive. You know that the port situation has been improving ever since President Biden got involved with his 24-7 plan to ease the congestion. And that's a big reason why Union Pacific, a very big position, by the way, of my charitable trust, that you can follow by joining the investment club, rallied to an all-time high today. When it comes to fixing the supply chain, I think there's a surprising amount of low-hanging fruit. You know what I'm telling you? That problem is a lot less intractable than many people seem to assume. Just got to shine a light on. Third, this earnings season is where we separate the wheat from the chaff. The truly great companies like Procter & Gamble, they can cope with higher costs by raising prices in order to pass them on the consumer. They haven't even done yet, yet and they've got 4% growth. Can you imagine what their quarter's going to be like next time? Meanwhile, Costco, Home Depot, Walmart, Amazon, and Lowe's have used their massive scale to keep prices relatively contained, tamping down on inflation where they can. They've done a good job. It's not perfect, but the outsized pain from higher prices seems to be weighing, at least on the margin, even as inflation is certainly upon us. Some companies have pricing power, others don't. The ones with pricing power give you great stocks. The ones without pricing power give you great bargains on their products. Fourth, more than a handful of charters I've been studying have told us that oil would peak at, at or below $84. That's been that line in the sand for us. On the fundamental side, well, it seems clear, unless we're heading to another ice age, we have enough natural gas to keep energy prices from skyrocketing. So what happens to the stock market if oil and gas start coming down? Which is, like, have you ever heard anyone even say that? Uh, it, it would be positive. On the oil side, the United States is still a long way from producing what we did before the pandemic. But do you know that the Permian Basin is no longer falling behind? The private producers are gearing up aggressively. I think it's only a matter of time before we see the same story in the rest of the country. I did not feel that way, but I'm seeing Permian going up. See, our producers are sitting on so much product, they could make fortunes at these levels. They're not going to leave it in the ground, even as their discipline to date has been integral to the price rise of crude. That's a new development. There's one exception here. The Northeast won't get any break on energy prices. That has more to do with the lack of pipeline capacity because people don't want pipelines under their land. Fifth, Let's talk chemicals. This morning, Dow Chemical, a company I like very much, put a terrific set of numbers that indicated supply is still very tight, pricing going up. I've been worried that the two key building blocks, which are polyethylene and polyurethane, might tip into equilibrium and then oversupply because new capacity is being added. But that sure isn't the case right now. I thought Wall Street would like the quarter. Nope, the stock got hit. The stock told you capacity is coming. At the same time, PPG. The coatings company that's a big consumer of commodity chemicals reported by, I thought it was a pretty negative number. It said raw costs remain a persistent bad problem. And what happens? PPG rallies nearly 3%. Now, you don't need to be a rocket scientist or a chemist to figure out that the market is speaking here. And it's calling a top in these key commodity chemicals. The market sees lots of new plants coming online, and that means prices should come back down in 2022. Now, most of the commentators who fret about inflation are these big picture people. They look at giant aggregate numbers, usually the government statistics. They're allergic to the kind of granularity that I bring to you. I eat granularity for breakfast, and breakfast tastes bad for the chemical industry. Tastes like those lousy rice cakes I eat. It's good for the rest of us, though. How about steel? You know I like Nucor, the biggest and best steel maker. But there are many bears who've been prowling around Nucor and its steel compadres, arguing that they've seen peak in pricing. We're going to talk about that later with Whirlpool. Nucor did miss estimates. And those estimates were set not that long ago. And that gave the bears the evidence they needed to call top. And it's why the stock got slammed. We told club members we don't think that. We think it's an opportunity. 
But I see when people say that the steel cycle has run its course when Nucor misses its numbers. So let's see. Let's say there is a peak in chemicals. I think there may be. Let's say there is a peak in steel. I don't think so. But you know what? The market says I'm wrong. All right. One more. That's the biggest of all. The semiconductor shortage. Total horror show, right? How have the basic semis been doing? Micron's cascading lower. Meanwhile, you listen to the semiconductor capital equipment makers, as I did on their comm schools. Sure doesn't sound like the shortage is going to last forever. Neither Lamb Resorts nor ASML gave you a sense that business is on fire. I, I was surprised at that. In fact, Lamb embraced the midpoint of pretty much every range of estimates. I was hoping to come to you and tell you to buy that one. So when you hear people predicting that the chip shortage should last well into 2023, ask yourselves, then why, uh, why the chip makers aren't buying new equipment like crazy to take advantage of that? I get the feeling that there's been a lot of double ordering in the system all the way down the food chain. And that's why the capital expenditures aren't going off the charts. The industry seems to expect that there's a surfeit of semiconductors coming all over the place, not just in the cheapest commodity chips like DRAMs or Flash. Those are Micron's bailiwick. Yet the price increases are either becoming baked in or they're not coming through at all. So, again, like I did with, you know, because I'm trying to always teach here. Like I said with Dow, commodity going into PPG, let's look at it another way. Look at through Ford Motor. Well, you might be wondering, how could Ford Motor see its stock rally 3% today, only 2 bucks from where it was 10 years ago, even though it's a huge part of all the commodities I mentioned and totally hostage to the chip shortage? I think the rally in Ford stock says the tyranny of the supply chain may be coming to an end, even as I told members of the investment club to be careful because it's been up big on two straight days. All that said, there's one inflationary item I don't have an answer for, and that's the labor shortage. We're beginning to see more people return to the workforce with these vaccine requirements, but the profound loss of 700,000 people in our great country, coupled with the victims of long COVID and the remaining unvaccinated, give you plenty of reasons not to go back to office. Fear. Fear. At the same time, there's this widespread reassessment of life itself. Do you know what? It don't, it, I, I'm willing to get existential. You know why? Because we had the same thing happen after the Civil War, after World War I and World War II, where we had major labor shortages and a lot of plain old partying. It's happening again as the war on COVID winds down. People are trying to figure out what to do with their lives. They will figure it out. And when they do, I think things will end fine. The way they did in the 50s, of 1950s. Of course, not all deflation is good deflation. Look at Snap down more than 20% in after-hours trading because Apple's new privacy rules make their targeted advertising a lot, a lot less precise, therefore less valuable. You want deflation? and Talk to the owners of Snap. However, with the exception of labor, there are suddenly a lot of bullish pieces in the inflation puzzle that I see that I want you to see. If you wait for these prices to finally come down, if you wait for the mosaic of if you wait for the jigsaw puzzle to be completely finished, you'll end up waiting too long. Let me give you the bottom line. Jumping the gun is a mistake in almost every single human endeavor, except for the stock market. The averages have been gun jumping on peak inflation for the last 10 days. Because the big guys cannot afford to wait to get in. Soon, neither can you. Mark in Pennsylvania. Mark. Hey, Jim. Thanks for taking my call. Of um, course. I'm, I'm interested in hearing your thoughts about the Cooper Company, COO. Yes. And uh, Cooper Vision and Cooper Surgical. And I uh, also wanted to you know, get your thoughts if I should be buying work. I'm of two minds. One is this is an incredibly well-run company. And two, they got to come on the show. You know, this is a $20 billion company that nobody ever talks about. And a lot of us use their products to particularly for vision care. I think that Mark in Pennsylvania has got some horror sense. All right, usually uh, jumping the gun is a mistake. 
except when it comes to the stock market, because the big boys have to accumulate so much that they've got to do it early. Hey, by the way, crypto. I had failed to mention crypto. The average have been uh, are looking pretty good, but the uh, let's just say when I look at the picture, I see both sides. I see the glass half full, glass half empty, and I'm taking the half full. All right, on Mad tonight, Whirlpool reported after the bell, but we talked about these supply chain issues just now. Is this going to hurt their quarter? How about the stock? Where's it going? Let me check in with the CEO. And CNBC held its annual Disruptor 50 Summit earlier today. I had the chance to sit down with Robinhood's co-founder and CEO, Vlad Tenev, to get a read on the digital brokerage after its recent IPO. Don't worry, I mentioned uh, crypto, crypto galore, including cryptos that are now named after, like, I don't know, dancing queens. And the dogs. It's everything, right? Shib, Sheev, whatever. One of them's named after that character, I think, in succession. Mattel's stock jumped in after hours trading following its earnings report, and I'm breaking down the quarter to see if it's a winner with the company's top best. Oh, we'll talk supply chain, and we'll talk crypto, and you know what? We'll talk crypto, and we'll also talk supply chain. So stay with Kramer. Don't miss a second of Mad Money. Follow at Jim Kramer on Twitter. Have a question? Tweet Kramer. Hashtag Mad Tweets. Send Jim an email to madmoney at cnbc.com or give us a call at 1-800-743-CNBC. Miss something? Head to madmoney.cnbc.com. Hi, I'm Ben. I suffer from a condition called writer's block. It strikes when I'm at work. That's why I choose Canva Magic Write. It works fast generating texts in seconds thanks to AI. Common side effects include increased productivity, compliments from coworkers, feelings of satisfaction. Now I can say bye-bye to writer's block. Ask your boss if Canva Magirite is right for you at canva.com designed for work. When you're hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging to connect with candidates faster. Plus, 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's match engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than three and a half million businesses worldwide that use Indeed. Listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash mad money. Just go to Indeed.com slash mad money right now and support this show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash mad money. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What do you do with a stock like Whirlpool when we're in the middle of a major appliance shortage? Right now, the demand for their products is off the charts. Just try to buy one. See how long your wait time is. Unfortunately, they've got a real supply problem on their hands. Not only is it getting more expensive to make the prices, it's also more expensive to ship them. That's why Whirlpool stock has pulled back from the 250s in May to 207 and change at the close. Tonight, Whirlpool reported, and I thought the results were, let's say, the mix, but I'm going to go into why I say that. They delivered weaker than expected sales, much stronger than expected earnings. At the same time, management lowered their full-year sales forecast while raising their earnings forecast. That raise was smaller than today's earnings beat. 
that's not good. But and that's why the stock is down after hours. But maybe that's just such short term thinking because Whirlpool's putting up excellent cash flow numbers, buying back stock hand over fist. about 441 million shares since last quarter. That's equal to 3 percent of the market cap. Plus, management raised their long term financial guidance, which is encouraging. That's what we think of in mad money. In the end, the word I use for this quarter is complicated. So let's take a close look with Dr. Mark Bitzer. Dr. Mark Bitzer is chairman and CEO of Whirlpool. Dr. Bitzer, welcome to Mad Money. Oh, thanks for having me, Jim. All right, so Mark, you, you, you gave me a little confusion because I'm, all tur- I'm really turned on by the longer-term growth rate, which you raised, I think, rather dramatically in a percentage base, certainly with the uh, goals to be able for profitability raised dramatically. And yet at the same time, in this particular quarter, you didn't go with that narrative, so to speak. So what's going to change between this quarter and a what-have-you-done-for-me-lately environment and the longer term, which is the longer term that you and I have spoken about, about Whirlpool? Yeah, so, so, Jim, so first of all, we are actually very pleased with our third quarter. You know, after this difficult Q2 last year, we had now five truly outstanding quarters um, with excellent operating profit. Um, our revenues were up 4% in Q3, 8% over 2019, and our full year forecast is 13%. Now, zooming out, and that's probably to your question, mm-hmm. this is now year four in a row of all-time record profits. So it's not a one-timer. It's four years in a row. Um, which, you know, anybody can argue that was not a particularly smooth sailing environment. So um, I think our company has demonstrated where we can perform in whatever environment. Now, specifically to your question going forward and the long term, we're very bullish on demand, not just in the U.S. Um, in fact, it's probably been, I'm probably most optimistic, it's the most optimistic demand outlook I've seen in my 22 years at Whirlpool. All right. Well, let, let me take the, the other side, because you and I have both been in uh, know this industry. I've been in, been involved in it for a very long time. How much of uh, you've got strong housing trends, you've got strong replacement trends, you've got strong discretionary trends. But we have always felt that in the end, this is a cyclical company. You're giving me secular growth stories. And I'm always concerned when a company that's known for cyclicality is saying, you know what? You don't need to think that way anymore. Tell me why I don't need to think that way anymore with Whirlpool. Yeah, for sure, Jim. I, I would argue we're today a very different Whirlpool in admittedly a very different world. You know, over the last couple of years, we streamlined our portfolio. Um, you know, we you know, sold our China business, our compressor business. We acted in South Africa, Turkey. We took more than a billion dollars in fixed costs out of our business in the last five years. We've demonstrated that a different approach to promotions can actually be value creating and our innovation pipeline is strong. So I would argue our company today is very different than five or 10 years ago. And I think that gives us also a very different level of confidence going forward. Now, many of the home builders I deal with and a couple I'm very close to have said, look, uh, it's hard for us to complete a house because we can't get the appliances. Is that uh, something that Whirlpool is holding up or is Whirlpool delivering what they want? Yeah. So, so first of all, of course, you know, everybody talks about shortages and they're real. Um, they're not surprising. We have them in Q2 and we will probably face them in Q4. That's labor shortages. Um, you have component or chip shortages and fairly significant transportation delays. But the other way to look at it is why do we have availability challenges? Because demand is strong. Um, the demand is simply outstripping the supply. And to be a little bit more precise, in Q3, we finally produced more in North America than we did in Q3 last year and in Q3 19. So we're ramping up production, but demand is just very strong, and that's a positive signal. All right, so if you were looking, you, let's say you were allowed to uh, 
have futures on every aspect uh, of what you have in, in a washing machine or dryer. Would you be locking in today's prices or do you think that today's prices are at their peak? You mean from a washing machine perspective? Well, I mean, steel, a lot of people feel it's about to roll over a cliff. I think aluminum is way, way too high. Plastic, I can tell you that the plastic that's in my Whirlpool, uh, it, it, I, I question whether that's going to be higher at this point next year. That maybe uh, this is the top of your raw materials problem. Yeah, so Jim, to be a little bit more specific, you know, but inflationary pressure is real, okay? Um, we've been talking about that ever since Q1. In fact, in Q1, we talked about we expect $1 billion headwinds. Today, our number is $1 billion. So we're probably one of a few companies who are not really surprised by the magnitude. So, And we're dealing with that. Q3, I think, is a proof. We dealt with 6.5% inflation in our numbers, and we delivered very, very strong operating margins. So we can deal with it. Now, to your question, what do you expect going forward? I don't think it's just short-term transitory. Okay. Um, it's probably some cyclical inflation, um, but I don't think it will suddenly drop off a cliff. And I think there will be some carryover into next year. And we've demonstrated we can deal with that. I'm going to give you one more question. Then we got to run. I don't like the way our country is starting to shape up in terms of birth rate. It's the first time that we're not a growing country. To me, it's maybe our biggest worry. We don't talk about it enough. Are you worried about birth rate in this country and other countries? Well, you know, of course, from both from a applying sales perspective, but also from a work perspective, you look at demographics. We look at it in every country because ultimately demographics drive consumption, but frankly, also employment. And, you know, um, frankly, from an employer perspective, and we're still, we're producing 80% of what we sell in the U.S. in the U.S. So we have 20, more than 20,000 employees in the U.S. And I'm starting to get worried that the labor shortage be, start becoming structural. Um, so, yes, demographics are a little bit of worry down the road. All right. Fair enough. Well, look, I'm I'm buying the Whirlpool long term, as you know, I have since I talk with you. And I'm a big believer that the best of breed does win, of which Whirlpool is most certainly. That's Dr. Mark Bitzer, chairman, CEO of Whirlpool Corp. And I'm honored to have you on the show, sir. Thank you. Thank you. This is one ever since Mark Bitzer came in. I've been recommending it. Maybe you see why. There's a price break right now because of some short term concern. Maybe that's the opportunity. Bad money speculation. Coming up, disrupt the rich and give opportunity to the home gamer? Kramer sits down with the co-founder and CEO of Robinhood. A special chat from the CNBC Disruptive 50 Summit is next. Canva presents stories to keep you up at night. It was an ordinary work day until... The Singapore presentation is at 3 a.m. The office was shocked... That's when we sleep. Maya made it less scary with Canva. <laughs> I'll just record my presentation so Singapore can watch it anytime. Record and present anytime with Canva presentations at canva.com. Designed for work. CNBC has quick and easy to understand business news updates at the open midday and close every weekday. Markets, money, and more from Wall Street to Main Street. I'm CNBC's Jessica Ettinger. Follow and listen to CNBC Business News Updates wherever you get your podcasts. And now a man who needs no introduction, the revolutionary co-founder and CEO of Robinhood, 
Vlad Tenev, who first appeared on Mad Money way back in 2016. We spoke earlier as part of CNBC's Disruptor 50 Summit. We addressed everything from crypto to memes, including ones we earned together, to the gamification of stocks. And yes, the true democratization of the market, something we feel deeply about around here. So take a look at some of our chat. Vlad, I am so glad you're with us. How have you been? I'm glad to be with you, Jim. Good to see you again. Let's talk about the report that came out. The, uh, this is the staff report on equity and options market structure conditions early 2021. I'm calling it the GME report. You and I have both read it. Uh, I have to. I want to talk, dive into it. my first takeaway is that a lot of people who felt that there was a vast conspiracy of people, Citadel, for instance, you, me, that we were all somehow in on it to hurt people. I think that this report represents a complete vindication of that. And if you feel that way, tell me why you think so. Well, of course, uh, you, you and I probably already knew that. And there's a lot of people on the internet that. Um, are going to be difficult to convince one way or another. I think misinformation on the Internet has been uh, a big issue of our time. Uh, of course, the, as I said in a bunch of TV interviews around that time, um, and I know you and I have uh, made it into some memes together on the Internet over the, the last couple of months as well, um, which you know has its good and, and its bad, as I'm sure you know. But uh, the, the sort of cause for these restrictions that we had to impose uh, along with other brokers was crystal clear. It was an unprecedented time where you had lots and lots of people that wanted to invest in a small handful of stocks at around the same time. Um, and, you know, the market wasn't really built for that. If you look at the core infrastructure of the market and the clearing and settlement system and the way that everything works, I'm sure that when everything was built over the course of the past few decades, they just didn't anticipate social media people getting together and funneling money into uh, a small number of stocks. Um, so I actually... I'm not I'm not really making a value judgment on whether that's good or bad. I think people should be allowed to communicate with each other and buy the stocks that they're interested in buying. And uh, moreover, I think what's interesting is a lot of these companies, a lot of these meme stocks um, are companies that have been hit hard by the pandemic. You have, you know, retailers, brick and mortar stores. Uh, you had the, the airlines getting the attention of retail customers in uh, the early part of the pandemic. And you could argue, you know, the government hasn't stepped in to help them in this difficult right. time. And retail investors have come in and, and supplied them with capital and allowed them to grow their management teams. So it, it is a very interesting thing that I don't think we've, we've entirely unpacked. But I did appreciate that uh, that the report mentioned my policy suggestion of shortening the settlement time. Right. I think regardless, that's the right move for the industry and the right way to move forward our financial system and reduce systemic risk. Um, so I was really happy to see that alongside a number of other policy proposals that right, Robinhood and but myself two, personally have made now that they didn't really I, when I spoke to Chairman Genzo, it was clear that he is concerned about two issues we have to speak about. One is payment for order flow and whether people know about it. And the other is the game like features. Now, I was out last night with a one of the, a big Robin Hood fan, 19 year old, terrific, little, terrific gentleman. 
And I said, what draws you to Robin Hood? And he said, because the app is so much like Candy Crush. It was not the answer I expected. Uh, is the app too much like Candy Crush, Vlad? No, I, I think that's, uh, as someone who played Candy Crush maybe 10 years ago or so, uh, I can tell you that I don't see any similarities whatsoever. And um, I will say this. the customers can't always be right. Maybe something needs to be done to dissuade people from thinking this is as easy and as fun as Candy Crush because I've not seen people borrow money and lose money on Candy Crush. I think it's important for it to be easy and accessible, and there's a big difference between that and so-called gamification. And if you look at Robinhood right now, we, we do pride ourselves on having a simple onboarding, on having pioneered a cost structure and a business model with no account minimums and no commissions that's brought in a ton of new investors, a lot of whom are from diverse backgrounds that otherwise wouldn't have been even thinking about investing. And that's something we're incredibly proud of and we, we stand behind. And I think it's a very, very powerful force. And there is this notion that you hear thrown around that, you know, when when wealthy people or institutions are buying stocks, then that's investing. But when poor people do it, it's, it's gambling. And I think we just have to move away from that. I think we, we reject that. We're proud of, of bringing all these new customers in. We're also proud of the educational content and a lot of the recent features, you know, not just the 24-7 support, but the I improvements we've you know, made in I, in-app I, learning modules. I could not agree with you more. Go ahead. Uh, I have spent an inordinate amount of time in my life trying to explain to people that just when someone, just because someone who doesn't have any money is trying to make something of themselves in the stock market does not mean they are fools. That does not mean they don't know what they're doing. And until you came along, I felt no one in the industry believed in me. And that's one of the reasons why I've supported you from the day I met you, because you do want to give people a chance. You do not discourage. Now, shouldn't it be celebratory? I don't know. Should confetti go down? What matters is that you have... You do not look down upon people who aren't that wealthy. At the same time, there are issues that the commission brings up, issues about like payment for order flow, where to me, it would seem like you're willing to tell anybody anything. I mean, you're willing to inform. You have become a person involved with safety and truth. Should you just give everybody uh, a caveat that says, look, you know, there's other ways to, to trade. You can pay commissions. Some people think you get better. I don't know if you get better. We think you get better. Something that indicates that the commission's issues about this payment for order flow could go away. And instead, we focus on the fact that there are 22 million people who are trying to make something of themselves. Well, I'll, I'll put it this way. I think that payment for order flow and you know, digital engagement practices or what you, what you call gamification in the report, uh, it was a little bit confusing to me to see it in there because, first of all, it had nothing to do with, uh, with restricting the, the handful of stocks right. that were restricted right. in January. So it was sort of like a policy position that was kind of thrown in there um, a little bit as an aside with, with no, connection, no connection to the restrictions or the underlying issues. And I, I think the rest of the report supported that. Um, I think some of the criticisms of payment for order flow and the business model, frankly, don't make sense to me. I mean, you look at what the industry was like three years ago, uh, pretty much all of the large brokerages were charging commissions and uh, making revenue from payment for order flow right. as an 
as a as an addition, right? And Robinhood forced that to to zero, forced commissions to zero, and the payment for order flow model has become kind of the standard transaction based model for for offering brokered services in that space. And alongside that, you've had uh, the best conditions for being a retail investor ever. The uh, by far the lowest cost of execution across the board. Mm-hmm. Spreads have been have been tighter. And I think it's it's a great time to be a retail investor in America, and there's actually a lot of competition. Now, I will say, I do support, uh, I came out with a, a, a policy proposal uh, a couple months ago about the subpenny rule, and there has been some criticism about whether our exchanges can fairly compete with off-exchange market makers like uh, Citadel Securities and Virtue. And I think there there's there are opportunities to make the system better and to encourage more flow to go to the lit exchanges and to strengthen the NBBO. And I think we should look at doing that. Well, but remember, we don't want the, people running ahead. We don't want rich people running ahead of the people who are trying to make something themselves. Correct? No, we certainly don't want to do that. But I think, uh, by and large, this business model has helped pioneer commission-free trading and make it possible. And certainly what we wouldn't want is the return to a commission structure in the industry that'll just keep people out, especially those people of lower incomes and, and, uh, and less means. Well, I want to congratulate you for everything, for being 2021's top disruptor, for the journey that you've taken, for the maturity that we've all had to have because so many new people have come in, and for your advice and counsel, uh, particularly uh, as far as I'm concerned, uh, in light of what happened at the end of January, uh, shows that you never lost the flame. Some people thought you did. The report vindicates you. And I'm thrilled that you came to our uh, disruptor conference and to bad money. Uh, and it's always good to see you, bud. It's always a pleasure. Thank you. Thank you for the time, Jim. Coming up, no matter what adults do to the world, kids will always need the tools of imagination. Kramer lets the games begin and talks earnings with Mattel next. If you've been watching TV, reading the papers, doing anything, you know that we keep hearing that the holidays could be at risk because of all these supply chain mishaps. Uh, don't turn me off because I just said supply chain. I know it's really boring. But you know what we ought to do? We should just talk to Mattel, right? That's the iconic toy maker. Think Barbie, American Girl, Dolls, uh, Hot Wheels, Fisher Price, among many others. But they got a lot of stuff they got to import, right? And I'll tell you one thing. They just reported yet another magnificent quarter. We've been on this horse since 10. Mattel has been a huge winner from the pandemic as parents stuck at home were desperate to keep their kids entertained and the company's finally delivering on its multi-year turnaround initiatives. However, in recent months, stocks sold off from its highs. Ah, investors started worrying about these rising costs for both raw materials and transportation, at least until today, when it jumped more than 2% going into the quarter. Then we got the numbers, and they were excellent, as what we've become used to. Mattel delivered a 12-cent Earnings beat off a 72-cent basis, higher than expected sales, up 8% year-over-year, powered by strength in dollars and action figures, core products here. Even better, management raised their full-year forecast, which suggests they're anticipating a strong holiday season. Do not take it from me. Let's check in with Enon Christ. He is the bankable turnaround artist and chairman and CEO of Mattel to get a better read on the quarter. And more importantly, what's next? Mr. Christ, welcome back to Mid Money. Hi, Jim. It's great to be here. 
I got to tell you, you know, I'm going through the release. It's all good, 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 good. And then it gets great because right at the end, you took your guidance from 12, 14 to 15 percent. There were people who told me all of his toys are on some container ship that is in stuck in San Francisco Harbor. That turned out not to be true. Correct. Well, this was another strong quarter for Mattel with continued consumer demand for our products. We achieved growth and gain market share for five quarters in a row. In fact, we are on track to achieve our highest full-year growth rate in decades and just raise our guidance for the third year, for the third time this year. So the point here, Jim, is that the Mattel team continues to execute on our strategy and the company is on a clear path to improve profitability and accelerate top-line growth. Is there ever a chance, when I listen to you, you know what I think, Ian? I remember when I first met you and I was worried about the fall and you told me not to worry, you're going to get through it, but don't be too excited. Now, of course, I am excited because you should be. The numbers are good. But I remember that bountiful dividend. I remember that beautiful balance sheet. I remember telling people, if you want a safe play that has good secular growth, it's Mattel. Then it turned out to have cyclical growth. Then it turned out to have no growth. Then they cut the dividend. They got liver dividend. Is it time to start thinking again about the glory days, at least in terms of a dividend? Well, Mattel is back in a big way. Uh, we are seeing a lot of momentum in our business. We are growing, and we've been growing for five quarters in a row. We are gaining market share. And in fact, we outgrew the industry this year by 1.7 times the growth rate. So our performance is doing is strong, not just relative to our own uh, history, but also relative to, to the rest of the industry. So you're telling me a that the opportunities are too great. To, that you think there's too much ahead of you than to start going back to the days where you're spewing. I mean, you're spewing cash, my friend. You generate a lot of cash now. It's not like the old. It's yeah. not like that period when you first came in. I'm wondering what you're going to do with the cash. Is it acquisitions? Is it dividend? Or is it just, you know, pay down debt? Or is it just one of these things where you have so much growth that you want to put all your chips on what you have? Well, you're right. Our trailing 12-month free cash flow grew by more than two and a half times. Uh, by two and a half times relative to where we were a year ago. And we are consistently making our way towards investment grade. So performance is strong. We are strengthening our balance sheet. And with that, we'll have uh, more opportunities and optionality to continue to create value for our shareholders. You are an entertainment person. You know entertainment well. Uh, you know diversity well. You know inclusion well. I look at the dolls and I think, what the heck? What was where what world was Mattel living in before you got there? But I'm seeing characters that to me say movies that to me say short video that to me say even YouTube TV. Where is that in on Christ? We want that Christ. We thought we were also getting that. Well, you are getting that in droves. We own one of the strongest catalogs of children and family entertainment franchises in the world. We have 13 movies in development and already seeing Mattel TV thriving. We have eight shows that we launched in uh, this year alone. We have more than 10 more in production and many, many more in development. Uh, so a lot of excitement there. We're seeing a lot of opportunities to capture value from our intellectual properties. We just recently launched the Barbie Radio uh, in partnership with iHeartMedia and Warner Music. See opportunities in digital gaming, NFT, digital experiences, and a lot of other opportunities to capture value in addition to the great work that we do inside the toy aisles. All right, now, we were worried when the pandemic was going to wind down that we would stop playing games. 
I, look, I'm a rummy cube addict, whatever the heck that is. I play it all the time. But it, did, people, did people find that games were something that was better than what they were doing and are doing it now just like they were or even more than during the, the lockdown period? You know, toys is, is, uh, is, is an industry that is growing. It's experiential. Parents love it. And especially when it comes to quality product and trusted brands, they resonate so well with consumers. You know, we're seeing consumer demand continuing to grow. We're seeing uh, a lot of momentum in the fourth quarter, and we're off to a great start. And we expect to continue growing for the balance of the year, gain market share, and have a strong holiday season. Very much looking forward to, uh, to having plenty of toys for children to play with in, uh, uh, during the holiday period. And uh, what are the hottest ones so I can, uh, our, our people, our viewers can get a head start and, uh, and buy them right now? Well, we have so many incredible, you know, great product and a lot of innovation. Barbie Dream House is always a winner. Now we just launched a new Dream House, which is going to be just a great seller for Christmas, we expect. And a lot of innovation, Hot Wheels, Fisher Price, Masters of the Universe, Masterverse figures are just a joy. And a lot of great product for, for kids to play with and, um, and, and entertain, uh, be inspired and uh, develop through play. All right. Well, you know, I thought it was going to be 25 by year end. We got a little heavy lifting to do. But after this quarter, maybe we're closer than I thought. You know, I'm Christ, who is the chairman CEO of Mattel. Once again, congratulations on another good quarter, sir. And good to have you on Mad Money. Thank you so much. Look, I've been sticking with this guy and sticking with the company. And I, I don't know. So far, so good. Certainly doing better than if you own Snap. Mad Money's back here for the break. Coming up, a storm is coming. So give us a call. Kramer's got the answers to all your burning questions. The lightning round is next. It is time. And then the lightning round is over. Are you ready? Keep that. The lightning round comes over with John and for John. Booyah, Mr. Kramer. Respect. Huge shout out to Alex and Ali. I went all in on FDX at 226. Okay, so FDX. Well, we don't care where it came from. We care where it's going to. As my friend Adam Harris said the other day, here's the deal. I actually, for the Chapel Trust, sold a little UPS today. Why? Because the stock's up in a straight line, so does FedEx. I think you had to trim a little just because it keeps disappointing. I don't think it's going to stop disappointing. Let's go to Andrew in New York. Andrew. Hey, Jim, what is your take on a small company doing big things, uh, Casalvo Life Sciences? They have done nothing but ask more FDA approvals. They are now in phase three of uh, trials for their Alzheimer's disease. Yet okay, but remember, this is an incredibly speculative situation. Now, here's the way I handle this. Okay, only with speculative dollars, only with money you can lose, because what you need is a takeout, and we don't know whether they're going to get a takeout. But that's what propels these stocks, big caps, pharma that doesn't have a pipeline. Let's go to Jack in Ohio. Jack. Hey, thanks for taking my call, Jim. Of course. Hey, it's one of my bigger dividend holdings. The next dividend is coming up late next month, and the yield looks good again. Is it okay to add more Dow, D-O-W? But the market seems to think that some of these chemical prices, including polyurethane, are peaking. I disagree. I talked about the top of the show. I think if you can get that stock at a 5% yield, which means it's a little bit lower from here, I think it's a good idea, Jim Fiddle, and doing a terrific job. Ben in New York. Ben. Hey, Jim. Hey, Thanks for taking my call. 
Uh, interesting your take on Marquetta, stock symbol MQ. You know, it, it's kind of like another one of these squares. I mean, we just see so many. It's going to go up, but I prefer to be in square. And that, ladies and the conclusion of the Lightning Round. The Lightning Round is sponsored by TD Ameritrade. Coming up, hot, hot, Mike. Make sense of the day's most critical market machinations in no time flat. Stick with Kramer for a special no huddle next. Friends, Romans, countrymen, lend me your ears. I come not to bury Jay Powell, our valiant Fed chief turned human pinata, but to praise him. Powell keeps coming under fire for leaving interest rates low in the face of inflation. And you know what? I'm getting tired of it. I think the criticism is absurd. This guy has earned the benefit of the doubt. Remember when COVID first shut everything down? Try to remember. Powell was the only real hero in terms of policy. He didn't wait for the financial system to collapse like Ben Bernanke did with the housing crisis. Powell drew an early line in the sand, saying he would stop at nothing to preserve the backbone of our economy. I think he saved probably 10% on unemployment. He didn't look for reasons not to take action. He didn't wait for Congress to get its act together. His forceful appearance, by the way, on the Today Show, which is a gem. Go Google it. Go YouTube it, whatever you want. At almost the absolute bottom of the stock market, when he explained that he prevented recession by any means necessary, was exactly what we needed. It gave the system breathing room. He gets no credit for it. But Jay Powell's only the head of our central bank. He's not a virologist. He had no idea when the pandemic would end. He was listening to the same people you and I were. I read everything available that came out at the first quarter of last year, and almost no one had a sense that we could get any workable vaccine in less than a year, with the sole exception of little alpha called Moderna. Instead, we heard that the fastest the vaccine has ever been devised was the mumps vaccine. That took four years. Plus, we lacked any sense of how the disease was transmitted earlier. Remember, it was like by washing your hands, not covering our faces. Like everyone else, Pal had no insight into how long COVID would last. So he decided he'd rather do too much than too little. Sensible and prudent. Now, all sorts of talking heads keep blaming him for all the supply chain congestion because business is so strong, rampant inflation, labor shortages. The inflationists think he should have nipped this stuff in the bud by slamming the brakes in the economy. Frankly, I think that's nuts. The problem right now is the, not monetary policy. The CEOs I talked to, and I talked to a lot of them, were as baffled by COVID as anyone else. Nearly all of them cut their capital expenditures to the bone as soon as this happened because everybody's always fighting the last war. See, the CEOs who slashed their spending at the beginning of the Great Recession became heroes. So they dusted off that 2008 playbook. Wrong. But Jay Powell and even our elected leaders in Washington had the same idea. They didn't want to repeat the Great Recession. So they took bold action to prevent it from happening. Then we got major scientific breakthroughs way faster than we thought Moderna, Pfizer, J&J, which we thought would take a prolonged pandemic off the table. Well, once the vaccines arrived, the vast majority of American businesses were caught with their pants down. They prepared themselves for a lengthy downturn. Suddenly, we were getting a huge upswing. In the meantime, Jay Powell gave the economy the lifeline it needed to make it through the pandemic intact, if not unscathed. So he's not going to start raising interest rates until we've uh, clearly gotten over the COVID crisis. Hey, just a month ago, we thought Delta could throw the country back into lockdown. When we got the vaccines to begin with, who would have thought that people would have objected to taking it? Powell stood there and said, you know what? This thing's not solved. Yes, I think he looks like a visionary, especially when you think of the havoc that Delta just caused, as we hear from many of the quarters that were just reported. It's not the Fed's fault that we haven't beaten the virus yet. J-PAL doesn't have the authority to force people to get vaccinated. If you want higher interest rates, you should blame our elected leaders for dragging their heels on European-style vaccine mandates. I think it's insane that our government just lets this thing drag on rather than forcing people to get their shots. 
At the same time, it's not Powell's fault that businesses somehow forgot to flick the switch and go put everybody back to work. Nobody was ready for the lack of workers, for the great resignation, for the shortage of components, because manufacturers had hungered down preparing for one of the worst recessions ever. It made sense. Many businesses still haven't been able or had time to catch up to the new normal. Did you know that truckers at West Coast ports still get paid by the load, not by the hour? So they actually make less money when the ports are congested and they need to spend hours waiting in the line? Stuff like this is ludicrous, not Jay's fault. Now, we're all trying to play catch up. So Jay's been staying easy until that process gets far enough along. So far, I think he's gotten it right. And his armchair quarterback critics should be ashamed of themselves. A year from now, they will owe this man an apology. But believe me, I know them. They won't give him one. It's not their style. I like to say this always the bull market summer. And I promise you I'd find it just for you right here on Mad Money. I'm Jim Cramer. See you next time. The news with Shepard Smith starts now. CNBC has quick and easy to understand business news updates at the open midday and close every weekday. Markets, money, and more from Wall Street to Main Street. I'm CNBC's Jessica Edinger. Follow and listen to CNBC Business News Updates wherever you get your podcasts.